want to ask you, guys, are you ready for God's word? And are you ready for a message on worship? On worship. Now, you say, Pastor, um, where have we been? Give me a little rundown of, of what's going on here. I'll tell you what. We've been talking about the four creatures seen in John's, uh, John's uh, vision in Revelations 4 and then in Ezekiel 1. The visions are very similar and we get details from each. And there were four living creatures. They each had four faces. They had one in the front, on the left, on the right, and in the back. And these four creatures were directed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that. We know that upon them, they held up a firmament that looked like a crystal sea. And on that firmament was the throne, the throne of God. And so we said that these four creatures, the four faces represent the different facets of the church and the way that God moves his church to take ground and to advance. We said the first face is the face of a man and that is, um, that is uh, the gospel of grace. The ox is servants, service or servanthood. Uh, the ox is still a very humble uh, uh, creature and still signifies serving. The eagle is something grand and soars high and it reaches the heavens. And that represents worship and touching the throne of God, right? The, and then you have the lion that represents prayer and taking ground. And so we've covered the ox last week. This week we're going to cover, we're going to cover worship. And so I want to remind you that service is, is humility. It's an act. It's an act of service. Now I want to, I want to ask you a question. Is it possible to serve and not worship? Think about this with me. But pastor, in the Old Testament, service and worship are so closely related. As a matter of fact, when, when Moses was asked by God to go talk to Pharaoh, he said, I need you to tell Pharaoh something for me. Deliver this message. Tell him to let my people go so that they may worship me. In some versions, it doesn't use the word worship. It uses the word serve. And that's because the Hebrew language is a little different from uh, the English language. And you can see this many times in languages when you translate. The words that you use to translate don't always capture the fullness of the meaning in the previous language. Like take, for instance, um, in the English language, we use the word love for everything, don't we? Don't we? But in the Greek language, you have four different words for the word love. You have one that means more of a parental love, a brotherly love is another Eros, which would mean the, uh, the more erotic, romantic love. And then you have agape, which means a God, unconditional love. And so you have these different words for love. But in English, we throw the word love around like for everything. I say, I love my wife, right? How many of us love our spouses? But I also love Miss Paula's uh, carne guisada. I mean, is that, could, could we equate the two? Well, you haven't had Ms. Paula's carne guisada, obviously. Because yes, you can't. No, I'm just kidding. You cannot. You cannot. You know, we love our wives and that's unique. And, and so when we talk about service in the Hebrew language, it wasn't just the act. Because how many of us have 
been in service in a church and worked hard and had many acts of service, but found ourselves not worshiping or found ourselves completely worn out. And we call that, I I just had a burnout. Ever had a burnout? Well, that happens when it's just the act and you're not connecting with the heart. See, to serve is not just the act, it's also an attitude. And that's what we talked about last week. Now I'm going to go a step further because service is the act, the attitude, and then connecting it to worship, and that's abandonment. To abandon yourself completely. You might say it's a holy exchange. This is exactly what God's word talks about. To give yourself completely to God that he might fill you up. See, when we worship or serve and worship at the same time that we serve, we're saying, Lord, I want to connect with your heart. I want to stay plugged into the power source. Therefore, I won't, what, run down. I won't be I won't reach that that wall or that point where I can't go further. Why? Because you're continuously filling me up, God. And this is why Jesus spoke in terms of when you connect with me, you're going to have a a fountain of living water flowing through you. I'm the bread of life. When you eat of my bread, you'll never hunger again. When you drink of my water, you'll never thirst again. Because it's not just doing an act for me. It's connecting the act with the attitude And then ultimately, which leads to abandonment. And that's what worship, we're we're going to talk about worship in terms of abandonment. You say abandonment, that's that's an interesting word, Pastor. Well, go go with me uh, up here on the screen. I've got the definition from Webster's here. And we've got a couple of things. A couple of things to consider. Number one, the first definition is to give up to the control or influence of another person or agent. Wouldn't that be what the Bible describes we should do with the Lord? To give ourselves up completely to him? How about the second one? To give up, let's combine them. To give up to the control or influence of another person and to give it up with the intent of never again claiming a right or interest in it. That's that's good. That's a good definition to say, Lord, I want to give myself completely, but not just once in a while, like all the time. Like I need to die to myself forever that you might live in me and through me. Amen. This is what God is calling us to do. This is why I love the message. And the message uh, uses this word abandonment in David's 40th Psalm. David's 40th Psalm is a beautiful Psalm that he writes after um, he goes through the ordeal with his son Absalom. You say, who was Absalom? Absalom was David's oldest son that turned against him and ultimately in battle died while trying to usurp or unseed or, or, or conquer David's kingdom. So this was a horrible thing. And, and through this tragedy, David writes this psalm and he says, he lifted me out of the ditch. Come on, how many of us have ever felt like, Lord, you lifted me out of the ditch. You pulled me from the deep mud. There's another psalm that says, my king and our God, he sits high, but he stoops down low into the miry pit. 
He pulls us from the lowest point. And this is what David is saying. He stood me up on a solid rock, a firm foundation. Amen. A firm foundation to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God, giving up to God, full control, never intending to get it back again. Do you realize this is not just a message of the Old Testament? The Apostle Paul, talking about what salvation is all about, he dedicates chapters 1 through 11 in Romans, talking about the technical aspects of of salvation. And then he hits chapter 12 and he hits you with the so what. So what? I've described to you what all the technicalities of salvation. Now I'm going to tell you what real salvation is like living it, practically experiencing it. And this is what he says. His very first line is this, therefore I urge you. I urge you to do what? Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercy I just described for 11 chapters, in view of that mercy, to offer and present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You realize he uses the word offer, in, or, or we use the word offer in the NIV. In the New King James, we use the word present. But they're two technical words that should bring to mind a priest bringing an offering. Because the priest would offer sacrifices or present sacrifices to God. It's technical because the priest would not have presented or offered until the precise moment he takes his hands off of it and he abandons his rights to it. At that point, that sacrifice is completely God's. And listen to what Paul is saying. Now that I've explained for 11 chapters all of God's goodness, what you should do is live for him. Abandon yourself on the altar. Take your hands off of yourself. Let him have you. But you know the problem with me? I keep getting up off the altar. Am I the only one? I lay myself on the altar and then after a little while I go, this is uncomfortable. I think I'm going to get up and take control again, God. But it's technical. It says abandon. Let it go. Take your rights and cancel the rights. You now have given your rights over to God. That's what worship is. It's called trust. You say, do you realize that the message uses the word abandonment, but in the NIV and the New King James and the other versions uses the word trust God. Trust. Because in order to abandon yourself, you've got to trust. Now, how many of us have trust issues? Any one of us have trust issues? No? Am I the only one? Have some trust issues? I know I do. And, and it's hard sometimes to have, you know, just a real, real understanding to, that, that what it means to really just trust God, to trust somebody fully. Why is it that it's so hard? Well, we've said it before because we've been hurt. Some of us have fallen. Some of us have been pushed down. Some of us have had our hearts broken. We've seen different things, and, and especially me, at, 
at age 29, I've experienced a lot of heartache. (laughs) What's so funny? At age 49, I've experienced a lot of heartache. We've experienced things that didn't happen exactly the way we wished. And so we have trust. And then not only that, but because things don't always go the way we want them to go, then we start to, we start to be skeptical. That's a nice word for doubtful. Just being blatant doubtful. And we start doubting if things will get better or if this will work out because I've seen it work out bad before. And so will it really work out? And so we have to, we have to learn to trust. And worship is all about trust. It's a holy exchange. Think about this with me. It's a holy exchange. You find this idea throughout the word of God. Die to yourself and let me give you life. That's what God says. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself and let me live through you. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you broke, busted, and disgusted? I like to say, then bring me your problems and I will give you what? Rest. It's a holy exchange. But you got to trust me. So Jesus says, so we're going to do a little exercise. Anyone ever seen a trust fall? I'm going to ask the guys that are supposed to be helping me with this to come up. I decided to bring it up a level. In the first service, I practiced with them once. In the second service, I practiced with them kind of once. In this service, I didn't know who was coming up. And so a trust fall is supposed to be, you know, you look, well, first of all, guys, um, I got a very technical question. Do any of you have something against me that we need to pray about before we do this, right? Um, Because this is not the time to act out. (laughs) Okay. Now, trust all, I'm I'm supposed to look where I'm headed, right? And I'm supposed to just just go for it, right? Is, Is that right? Anyone know? No, how how do you do this? So you turn around and you're not supposed to look at what they're doing. Do you count? Or can I just fall? Oh my goodness. Did it hit you? No, you're good. Well, all right, let's give it up for these guys. Hey, hold on. How many of you would trust them? How many of you would trust him? Raise your hand if you would trust him. Raise your hand if you would trust him. Raise your hand. Some of you are going, I'm not so sure. Did I tell you we're talking about trust? Okay, if you would trust mere mortals, let me ask that again. If you would trust mere mortals, why wouldn't you trust the king of all glory? The one who has no end. The one who is... Alpha and Omega, the all-powerful, the omniscient one, the all-loving one, the omnipresent one. Why wouldn't you trust him? I want to ask you to trust him today. Trust him with all of your heart. That's what worship helps us with. Because worship is about connecting with God's heart. And when you feel God's love for you, this is what John says. If you could understand how much God loves you, you wouldn't fear anything. You would walk around like God is for me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Who can be against me? Show me the biggest, baddest demon in hell. God is with me. I won't fear him. I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil. For God is with me, the psalmist said. 
God is with me. And this is what I mean by worshiping God in that kind of trust. This is the kind of trust that eradicates the things that typically come in the way of our worshiping him. You know what typically gets in the way of us worshiping him? Things like people. Come on, how many of us worry too much about what others think? Anyone? Some of us are real people pleasers. And we would love to live full out for God. But what will my boss think? What will the people at school think? What would my coworkers think? What would my children think? After my divorce, what will my ex think? What will this think? What will, who cares? Some of us would love to worship God with all of our heart in church, but you're too busy worrying about what the person next to you is thinking. What if I raise my hands? What might they think? Can I tell you what they're thinking? They're wondering what you're thinking. (laughs) Am I right? Why not just look at each other and Hold hands and raise them up. I don't know, but get over it, right? Get over that idea. Life's too short for you to live your whole life worrying about what somebody else thinks. Do what God wants you to do, and that is to connect with his heart of love for you. And when you worship, you start to connect with that. You know another thing that, we, that holds us back from worshiping? Things. Not just people, but things. See, Jesus is talking to the people, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 19, verse 19. And at verse 19, he says, you need to quit worrying about the things this world has to offer because those things will distract you from heaven. What do I mean by that? I mean, those things, he says, are junk. They're going to rust. They're going to fade. They're going to pass away. They're going to wear out. Think about this with me for a second. You buy a pack of gum. How long will that take you? Will will that last you? You buy a t-shirt. How long will that last you? You buy a car. How long does that last nowadays? You buy a house. Okay, I'm getting more, more and more length, right, to your purchases here. A house might last a generation or more, Pastor. Let me ask you this. Eventually it will wear down, won't it? How about if you invest for eternity? And it has no end. And that's what Jesus says. Quit investing here. It's so short-sighted. Invest for eternity. It would never end. And then he goes on to say this. Be careful how you use your eyes. Because your eyes are the windows of the soul. And with your eyes, you're taking motion picture. You're taking light in. And if that light is good, then your eyes are informing your soul about the goodness of heaven. That's good. But if your eyes are fixated on this world, then that is darkness that's coming in. And if it's darkness that's coming into your the windows of your soul, then how dark is your soul, he says. That's what he says. You can read it. He says, how dark is your soul? He says, Listen to me. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You've got to love me and hate him or love him and hate me, but you won't serve both of us because that's not the way it works. I created you to be singly focused in your worship. So Jesus is saying, and then he goes on to say this, you cannot love me and money or me and the God of this world. He says, because where your heart is, 
Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And then watch this. When you trust God and you connect with his heart that way and you exchange all of you for all of him, you come out with a better deal. And this is what he says. He says, that is how you conquer worry. As long as you're focused on this earth and you're trying to do it in your strength, you're going to worry. You're going to worry about what you eat, about what you wear, about all sorts of things. And he tells you this. How many of you by worrying can extend your life by one day? Jesus is actually giving you more truth than you think. He's saying worry actually shortens life. And any doctor will tell you that. And so what he's telling you is this. I want to do a holy exchange with you. Give me you and I will give you my peace. That's a heavenly peace. And I will take care of your needs. And I will love you. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added to you as well. I'll throw in everything else with you with that in exchange for you. This is how Jesus spoke. But you've got to trust God. Trust him with all your heart. Number two is spirit and truth. This is going to go really quick. We need, to, we need to worship God in spirit and truth. Watch. In John 3, John three sixteen is what? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have ever what? Lasting life. That verse came as a response to what? A conversation he was having with who? Nicodemus. Nicodemus is in chapter 3. Chapter 4 is women at the well. We'll, we'll get there right, right quick. You're, you're getting ahead of me. Um, chapter 3 is Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And he comes to Jesus at night and he's asking him all of these questions about eternal life. And Jesus says, we got to do a holy exchange. You have to die and be born again. That's what he says to him. And and he's confused. He goes, how can someone be born again? I can't enter back into my mother's womb. Jesus is going, you're missing the point. And so he tells him, for God so loved the world that he gave us. So he's saying, you got to put your trust in God. He said, whoever believes. But the belief in the Greek doesn't just mean, yeah, I I kind of know, know that there's a God. No, it's you put your faith in me. So Jesus is saying, and I will give you life for your life. Holy exchange. And then he goes to chapter four and he tells you what happens when you have this holy exchange. You have a river of living water flowing in you. And the woman at the well cannot understand what he's saying either. He's saying, what do you mean? He says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked me for water and I'd have given you living water. And then she starts putting two and two together. And she's going, oh, you're not just an ordinary man. And he says, that's right. Go and call your husband. I'm not married. She says, you're right. You speak the truth. In fact, you've had had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. (gasps) How did you know that? I am the one they talked about would come. I'm seeing the Messiah. And then she asks him about worship. Watch. 
Because once you believe, you're holy right. After you believe, you are a son of God. You have the beautiful privilege. You don't have to worship. You get to worship. You get the beautiful privilege of entering God's presence and having communion with him and letting him know your heart and having these holy exchanges with him and say, Lord, I'm heavy, I'm burdened, I'm struggling. God, I don't want it to be about me, so I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to just focus on you, Lord. That's what happens in worship. And this is what he says to her. He says, a time is coming and has now come when those who worship me will worship in spirit and in truth. You want to worship? Worship God in spirit and in truth. You have the right to worship him in spirit and in truth. And you have the opportunity because you have the Holy Spirit if you trusted in him. And the Holy Spirit will guide you into worship. Come on, how many of us have ever been at that point where it's hard to abandon ourselves? You ever been at a point where you're just completely hurting? You're completely estranged. There's something happening. I just can't get a hold of you, God. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to invite the Holy Spirit to help you. Oh, Lord, come and take from me my life because I haven't got the strength to give it away. I need your help. I need your help. I'm hurting, Lord. But spirit and truth also means that you worship him passionately with all your heart. Listen to Psalms 45. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. What is that good theme? Listen to this. The glories of the Messiah and his bride. That's the theme of this psalm. And he says, my heart is overflowing. Do you worship with your heart overflowing? That's what it means to worship in spirit with everything God put inside of you. Watch what David says. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. The oh, my soul means all of me. Look at this. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Give God a blessing with everything you have. How about Psalms 51? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, do something in my spirit, Lord. I'm not lined out right. I need you to line me out. Come on. Watch this. For you do not desire sacrifices or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These are the ones you do not despise. These are the ones you like. So I'm bringing you my heart, God, broken in whatever condition it's in. And I need your help. Amen. But it's not enough just to be passionate. You also have to worship in truth. That's the second part to, 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 uh, to our second point, to worship in truth. What do we mean by that? Well, there's a story. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel 6. There's a story in 2 Samuel. And David has just become king. Now, he had to go through a lot to become king. So if you had to go through years of being hunted by the previous king, and then you finally become king, how many of you are going to be pretty anxious to get to it? He's anxious to get to it. And so the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines. The Philistines are the, like, 
arch enemy of the Israelites. And they had taken it. Israel has gotten it back. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in Jerusalem. It's in Judea. Which it's in their country, but it's not where David wants it in the capital city. Where the, where the temple will eventually be built. So he gets excited and he goes down there. Watch what the Bible says. With 30,000 able young men. It's a lot. Now watch verse 6. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all of their might before the Lord. Would you say they're doing it with their whole spirit? With all of their soul? I love this about David because he didn't do anything halfway. I mean, if he was going to do something, he was going to do it, right? So he's celebrating with all of his might. Come on, men. Did your worship this morning look like this? Not judging, just saying. I'm going to let God's word speak to you. David and all Israel were celebrating with all of their might before the Lord. With all sorts of instruments. So this was, this was something huge. Now watch in verse 4. The Ark of the Covenant. Or excuse me, in verse 3. They set the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. You say, what's the Ark of the Covenant? That's the artifact, that very special ancient artifact that uh, Indiana Jones was after. You remember that? Okay, so the Ark of the Covenant, they put it on a new cart. They put it on a cart. It's being pulled by oxen, and they're celebrating. The Spirit is there. That means their spirit, they're giving it all they got in passion, but they're not doing it in truth. How do we know they're not doing it in truth? Because God said how the ark should be carried. The ark should be carried on acacia wood poles, right? The poles go through the rings of the ark. One man on each corner. So four men, not just any men, priests dedicated to that order that is, that, is, that is in charge of keeping the ark. He said, you said, but, but, but what happened? See, what informed David's worship was what he saw the Philistines do. And sometimes we see the world do something and we think we can get away with it. Come on, how many of us have ever told our children, I don't care if every one of your friends jump off, jumps off a bridge, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I don't care what your friends are doing. How many of us ever had our parents say, you're not like the other kids. You are God's child. You are dedicated to the Lord. I had you and I prayed for you and I put you before the Lord. You're not like the other kids. Therefore, you won't act like the other kids. Some of us are going, no, I don't say that. You need to. You need to let your children know who they are. You need to let them know who they are because the world is dying to tell them who they are. You need to speak God's promise and do it with spirit, with all your heart. Tell them that they're, they're, they're fearfully and wonderfully made as God's children. But, th- but that's another message. Okay, here we go. So he sees, he sees the Philistines put it on a cart. Nothing happened to them. Come on, how many times do we have to tell each other this? Just because nothing happens to those that are living in the world, their daddy is Satan, not God. 
You live by a set of other rules. And so God says, no, you're not going to transport my ark that way. I can remember, I never could get away with anything that my friends could get away with. I remember that. Like They used to sneak out all the time. The one time I sneak out, I get caught. Now, this is what happened. I told him it's Saturday. I can't go because it's already too late and I got to get up for church in the morning. My dad doesn't like me out on Saturday nights because I got to be ready for church. And last week I wasn't ready for church. And some of you are looking at me like I'm speaking French. That's a good rule. Put that in effect. Your children have to be in church. Why let them make up their own minds? You feed them, don't you? Bring them to church. And let them feed on God's word too. Okay, that's another message. Keep going. So my friends say, well, why don't you just sneak out? And they tell me how to do it. I said, that sounds like a great idea. I'm not being very smart here, but, but here's the story. So I, I said, well, come pick me up down the block. I don't know how he translated that to come knock on my door. So I'm literally on, I'm, I'm on the rooftop. Fixing the scale down. And my, my friend's Mustang is up front. And Reuben's going like this to me. And he's going. Pointing that Victor's already come to the front door. And he's. I'm, I can hear him at the porch. Now the porch is covered. And I'm on the rooftop. And he's knocking on the door. Just then my dad answers and says. Hey Victor how can I help you? Because I'm here to pick up Chris. And he says no Chris has already gone to bed. And I'm on the rooftop. Listening to the conversation. He says, well, he told me to pick him up. And my dad says, let me go check. Something doesn't smell right. So I hear him checking. My friend Ruben's going like, do something quick. I jump off of that roof. Now it's, there's gables. So it wasn't a full second story. It was kind of, you know what I mean? It wasn't like two full floors. It was like a four and a half. But I jumped off of there like Spider-Man. I came out like that. Victor, I'm going to get And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, what do you mean what's wrong? So now I'm on the ground. I run up the, the, into the house and I go, hey, dad. And he's on the steps going up and he goes. And I said, I'm, I'm, I was feeding the dogs. And I saw my, my friends drive up. So I figured I'd just come out and see what they wanted. And he goes, dress like that. How was I dressed? Well, not like I was feeding the dogs. (laughs) Like I was going out for the night. And he goes, oh, where's your brother? I said, my brother's, um, uh, I I think he's sleeping. Let me go check. He goes up there. Aaron has been dragging booty, making a perfect mannequin with hair and everything. And now he's in the window going, hey, dad. And my dad gets the wig and we need to talk. Can I tell you, some of us try to live like the world and expect to pass it through in God's house. Uh Uh-oh. No, no, no. Worship is abandoning ourselves to God and saying, Lord, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I live by your rules. And I love you full heartedly. And if I want your blessing, then Lord, I'll discipline my life to your word. This is important because nowadays everybody wants to worship God on their terms. 
everybody says, no, God will accept me on my terms. God will accept my sin. God will accept my worship. God will accept me. God will, no, 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 no. God is God, we're not. That's number one fact of worship. And if God is God, he sets the rules and he has in this word. He has in this word. So worshiping in spirit and in truth means to worship God based on who he is, not who we want him to be. That's very important. Based on who he is, not who we want him to be. Because in this day and age, everybody's talking about their truth. Well, my truth, my God, who cares? God's already spoken. He's confirmed his word. And now it's time to live by it. And so David found out very, very rudely or harshly that you couldn't transport the Ark of the Covenant on an ox because when the ox started to stumble, David's good friend went out to steady the Ark and God struck him dead. Now David was upset and he said, I can't, hold, I can't have the Ark of the Lord. It's, it's just too much responsibility. I don't know. I don't know what was going through David's heart. I'm not going to speak to that. because The Bible doesn't pre- previous to that. But I will say this. There was a man by the name of Obed-Edom. He took the ark in. And the Bible says, you can read it right up there. Watch this. He had it there for three months. And in three months, the Lord blessed him and his entire household so profoundly. Come on. When you enter into God's presence and you connect with his heart on his terms and you allow yourselves to have a holy exchange with God, he will bless you in such a way that the entire nation can hear about it. That's what God did for Obed-Edom. Now watch. David heard about it and, and his, his officials were saying, David, you cannot have this man receiving all the blessings for the whole nation. The blessings are supposed to be on your house and they're supposed to flow down to the rest of the nation from Jerusalem. So David went to get it. And when he goes to get it, this is where we come to our last point. He understood that the deepest form of worship is not just worship in spirit and truth, but worship connecting with God's ultimate heart of love. Love. For God so loved the world that he gave. To love and to give. To love and to give. And watch what he does. I'm going to read it, verse 12. Now, David, King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and everything that he has because of the ark of the Lord. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the household of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf or a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. He took off his priestly robes. You know who this sounds like? It sounds like Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 2, he divests himself of his, his kingly attire in glory and he takes on the mere form of a human. 
David is saying, I don't care to be looked at as king. I care to be looked at as, as a worshiper of God. Humble and loving God with all my might. All my might. Now watch this. He took six steps. David was dancing before the Lord. And while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets, they brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in a place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed what? Burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Watch this. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israel. (laughs) Did he connect with God's heart or what? This man is giving things away. This man is rejoicing. This man is feeling the love of God flowing through him now. Something has changed. And so he dances before God. The Bible says in verse 20, and when David returned to his household. Now this is where we finish. Watch watch this. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Now it's funny that the Bible says she's the daughter of Saul, but she's actually David's wife. Now, it's funny because in this story, the Bible is very clear about saying, we're not going to associate you with the man of God who's worshiping in spirit and truth and love and giving generosity. We're not going to associate you with him. We're going to associate you with your daddy, who was Saul, who God rejected. Ooh, watch this. And this is what she says when she comes out to meet her husband. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. You think she's being sarcastic? Going around half naked in in full view of the slave girls and of his servants as any common, peasant, vulgar, vulgar fellow would do. Here we go. David said to Michael, it is before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. And for that matter, any of his household. He chose me and appointed me ruler over his people. It's before him that I will celebrate. Look what he says. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I don't care about how I look is what he's saying. If you thought my dancing was somehow undignified, you haven't seen anything yet, baby. Because I can get a whole lot more undignified. I can let it go even more. As a matter of fact, I've tapped into something. I've reached the heart of God. I've touched the heart of God. I'm going after the heart of God. And I don't care what you say. I don't care what your daddy said. I don't care what your brother said. I don't care what... Uh Uh-oh. He, I mean, he just went after it. But I love this. He said, I will. I will celebrate. I will be even more indignified. And I will be humiliated. I don't care. I humble myself before the Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? You want a holy exchange? 
God said, this is a man after my own heart. And I love David. God loved David. No, listen. David committed adultery. He murdered and yet God loved him. Why? Because in spite of his sin, God could come to him. Why? Because they had a relationship and said, David, I'm about to bring you home. David fell on his knees as a worshiper and said, please forgive me, God. And God says, that's what I love about you, son. That's what I love about you, son. Yes, I forgive you. You may be here today and you may need God's forgiveness. Worship. You may be here today and you may say, Pastor, I don't need God's forgiveness. I just need blessing. I just need worship. You may be here today and you may be celebrating like David was that day. Celebrate. But with worship. How? Trust God. Do it in spirit and truth. Connecting with his heart of love as you give him all of you. All of you. This is where we finish. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Today I'm going to ask you to put your trust in him. You might say, Pastor, I've already done that but the Holy Spirit is pricking my heart. He's touching my heart. Something's going on. I'm going to ask you to have a holy exchange with the Lord. Have a holy exchange with him. Talk to him in this moment. Say, Lord, I've been worrying about what other people think. I've been getting sidetracked. I've been thinking too much about what this world has to offer me. I'm too caught up in the Longhorns losing two games in a row. I know we're laughing, we're having fun, but whatever it is, Whatever it is that's distracting you, bring it to him. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Say, Pastor, I can't seem to get over myself. It's not really others and it's not really stuff. It's me. The way you do that is you say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. And empower me supernaturally to offer myself, to present myself as a living sacrifice before my King of glory. In Jesus' name. Don't leave today without abandoning yourself to God. You may have come in this morning in full control of your life. I'm going to ask you to give up that control today. Pastor, how do I give up that control? You ask the Holy Spirit to to help you. Say, Holy Spirit. Today I relinquish full control of my life to you. 
I confess Jesus as my Lord. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to take the throne in my heart and in my life. Guide me by your Holy Spirit forevermore. Today, I die to myself. And I ask you to live through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, thank you. We celebrate till you return. Maranatha. Amen. Have a great, great week, church. I love you guys.